Hello, my name is Gareth Davies, and I'm here this afternoon with John Drummond. Uh, John is the former president of the Royal Astronomical Society of New Zealand and a fellow of the Royal Astronomical Society of New Zealand. He lives in Gisborne, um, in the east of the North Island of New Zealand, and he runs Gisborne Astro Tours in his spare time, which he doesn't have a lot of because he's a teacher, and that takes up a lot of his time. And if he's not teaching, he's surfing. So John's with us today. Um, I'm uh, in Auckland and I'm an astronomer, brackets amateur, but I'm really committed to it. And um, John and I have known each other for a long time. And today we're going to talk about the Milky Way. So John, what can you tell our watchers and our listeners about the Milky Way? Yeah, hi, Gareth. Um, at the moment, when you go outside about 9pm and look up 8 or 9pm tonight on a clear night and look up, you'll see, if, especially if you're away from light pollution, you'll see a, a big arch of, of stars going across the sky. And that's the Milky Way. It's a mixture of stars that you can see, but also stars that are so far away that they merge into this... Um, basically this there's milkiness across the across the sky so in august september in the evening after the sunset you you look up and you can see the milky way just stretching right across and new zealand we're really fortunate down here that the heart of our galaxy the milky way galaxy actually slides right overhead so we we're in a fantastic place to see it so if you if you can get away from light pollution, that terrible thing, light pollution, probably the easiest form of pollution to fix. Uh, get away to a, a beach or somewhere out in the country, look up and enjoy the Milky Way on a moonless night. So for our listeners and viewers in the Northern Hemisphere, um, are they unlucky to be there for the night for the Milky Way? Yeah, I, I do hate to say it. Uh, the, the, the best places in the Southern Hemisphere at the latitude of about 35 degrees south, uh, around about that 35 to 40 degrees south, you, you then see the heart of the galaxy basically overhead. I remember I was in Hawaii a few years ago and saw Scorpius and Sagittarius, where, well, especially Sagittarius, where the heart of our galaxy is basically rising in the southeast, coming up above the south and then setting into the southwest. And it, it wasn't very high in the sky. You know, it was reasonably high, but but certainly nothing like uh, down here in New Zealand where it's sliding right overhead. So with the Milky Way, what we're seeing is, is it's our own galaxy. It's our own city of stars, as it were. And astronomers, when people used to look at the Milky Way, uh, they they called it the 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 road of milk, basically, and uh, they they had different cultures had different ideas about what the milky milkiness was. Some were saying it was a cow running across the sky, and milk was coming out of its udder. Others that a lady was giving uh, breastfeeding a baby, and the baby was taken from her, and her milk splattered across the sky. So different different views about what the Milky Way way is. Over time, astronomers have looked at it and 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 thought about it, photographed it, and so on. Back in the early 1900s, there was a, a big debate going on about what the Milky Way was, if it was uh, the whole universe as we knew it, and there were the there were what was what is called what was called spiral nebulae 
And these were, like in this photograph just behind me that I, I, I photographed from Gisborne here, they look like spirals and, and maybe uh, patches of nebulosity in the sky. So there was a big debate, particularly between two astronomers called Curtis and, and Shapley. And Shapley's crew basically were saying that these spiral nebulae were part of our Milky Way galaxy, part of our universe, and their universe is pretty small. Curtis, on the other hand, was saying, hey, maybe these are galaxies, like our own galaxy, but they're a long way from us. And fast forward a few years, and in the 1920s, uh, Edwin Hubble was photographing stars, well, photographing the Andromeda galaxy, galaxy, searching for novae, and he saw these Cepheid variable stars, and they were changing in brightness over time. And the interesting thing about Cepheid variable stars is as they change over time, brightness over time, it gives us a, a luminosity indicator. And based on, on that and the stars that he observed, he was able to prove that galaxies like spiral nebulae that they, we see in the sky are actually galaxies in their own right. Well, that's interesting because I know that it was in the 1920s that Hubble um, identified through the Cepheid variables that Andromeda must be a separate gallery, galaxy. Um, how many light years away did he think it was? Two, was it two uh, million? Well, light now years? we know it's around about 2.3 million light years away. He didn't quite get the calculation right, but the interesting no, thing No, the is problem, problem was, from memory, uh, he, was, he thought he was looking at Cepheid variable stars, but he was looking at our, our Lyra, Lyra ah, Lyra, yeah. stars, and they oh. have a different... Uh, luminosity relationship to time and he was he was thinking that Cepheid so came up with a di different figure but the, the the key point was that he proved that the Andromeda galaxy wasn't local but it was actually another galaxy out beyond the Milky Way galaxy. Well it's interesting that um, my father-in-law who is 98 when he was born the general feeling in this world was that there was only one galaxy most people tended to believe that and now and he's still around people believe that there are 200 300 billion galaxies out there as a consequence of of the hubble space telescope hubble again uh, leaping up so it's quite amazing that in one person's lifetime we've gone from thinking there was one galaxy to thinking there, there are at least two to 300 billion. And that's quite an error to say, you know, 200 or 300 or 400 billion. Even the stars in the Milky Way, people say there are 200 billion, 300 billion, 400 billion. It's quite surprising that there's such a variance in what people think. And I, 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 if I remember correctly, in one of our earlier podcasts, there was this discussion about the fact that nothing seems to be for certain in astronomy. We people have you go to go Google and you find so many different views on on numbers. But uh, yes, the great debate: Harlow Shapley in the end lost out, and Edwin Hubble was it Mount Wilson that he was looking through that telescope? Yes, initially he he was working at Mount Wilson, and then in 1948. 
Mount Palomar opened up and he was he was using that later on in his life. But but in those early in the 20s, that's when he he was photographing. Probably the big tool that opened up uh, the, the universe was photography and the ability to put a camera at the telescope and, and take photographs of galaxies and sit down and analyze the photographs after. Uh, Hubble would take photos of, of many, many, many galaxies and, and basically analyze them and realize that galaxies have different shapes and, and, and sizes and things like that. He came up with, with what is known as the Hubble tuning fork diagram and realized that galaxies are basically spiral galaxies or elliptical galaxies or irregular galaxies. So our Milky Way galaxy is, a, is what is known as a bad spiral galaxy. Basically, imagine that it's like back in the old days for fireworks, you, you used to have a, oh, what was it, a Catherine wheel. And yeah. it was a, maybe about that long, a, a tube full of gunpowder and you'd light both ends, nail it to a, a post, light both ends, and then it would spin around. And as it spin, spun around, uh, it gave the, a nice resemblance to a, a spiral galaxy with the bar in it. So our, our galaxy, yeah, astronomers think there's roughly around about 200 billion stars in a galaxy, 300 billion, 400 billion there. The numbers have gone up with the discovery of more red dwarf stars in recent years. Uh, our galaxy is about 120,000 light years across. So light traveling at 300,000 kilometers per second, or roughly seven times around the world in one second, takes 120,000 years to go across our galaxy from one side to the other. And remember, that's just our, our own galaxy. And like you say, Gareth, there's, there's hundreds of billions of other galaxies out there. In fact, I was reading just rec uh, a, an article today, and it said that astronomers are now thinking there might be up to a trillion galaxies out there. Yes, it never, it never ends. And yeah. I guess when the James Webb Space Tele Telescope goes up there, that number will be will extend to two trillion or three trillion. You know? Yeah. But it, it's interesting that um, going back to Harlow Shapley because I've I've read that book. Um, uh, is it the Glass Universe, uh, where the they tell the story of Harlow Shapley? and all of the people that worked for him in Boston, uh, Henrietta Swan-Levitt, was it? Uh, and it was her discovery about the Cepheid variables that actually led to her boss, Shapley, being trumped by Hubble, who, as you say, spotted them uh, in Andromeda, but only to find out they were um, RLIRI um, uh, variable stars. So it's a wonderful yeah. story. If anybody gets a chance to read that book, I'd highly recommend it, especially as um, Shapley had all these um, uh, women working for him because they couldn't, they weren't allowed to work in proper jobs at the university. They were all well from well-to-do families, and they all spent their time um, looking at the um, the spectral patterns of the stars. If I'm, is that that's correct, isn't it? That's um, right. And photographs. Yeah. yeah. The and computers. They, they called them the computers. The computers. Yeah, yeah. I know. And they made all the incredible discoveries. And I, somebody was telling me the other day that Henrietta Swan Levitt was put forward for a Nobel Prize, but because she she passed away, she wasn't able to. They couldn't award it to her. So it's it's all a pretty wonderful story. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and and the 
the stars, she discovered the Cepheid variable stars in the small Magellanic cloud, which is basically, a, it's, you know how the moon goes around the earth? Well, there's two galaxies that are easily visible to the naked eye in the southern hemisphere called the Clouds of Magellan. She was photographing the small Magellanic cloud from Peru to finish off a Harvard photographic survey of the sky at Harvard University. And she photographed it and, and then saw these uh, stars that varied over time. And basically it was her and Chapley and so on that, that realized the, the mass luminosity relationship uh, with these stars. So they're, they're a great indicator of distance. And yes, it was, was Hubble that saw, saw stars similar to that that made us realize that our galaxy, Milky Way galaxy, is just one of maybe a trillion galaxies out there. And isn't there a Henrietta Swan-Levitt law related to the pro propagation of light? Ooh, I don't know about that one, Gareth. Not sure. Oh, wow. Can't. That's your homework, John, when you go home. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> to look that up. And, of course, um, Harlow Shapley was in, was in the company of, um, what's her name? Ce Cecilia Pinger-Potchkin, when the letter came saying that Hubble had spotted the Cepheid variables in Andromeda and that he had been gazumped. And, and the reason I bring that up is that, that our good friend John Hearnshaw um, actually knew Cecilia Payne-Gapochkin, uh, who worked, who was, she was not a computer. She actually became the first professor, I think, of astronomy um, at uh, Harvard University. Um, so he knew her when he was at Cambridge. So there's, mm. there's a link. We're only one step. We're only two steps away from Edwin Hubble. So, sorry, what was her name, Gareth? Cecilia Payne Kapochkin. Okay. She wasn't okay. Russian. She yeah. married a Russian called Kapochkin. She was actually, she was actually from the Chilton, Chilton Hills in um, the United Kingdom. Yeah. And, and she went to uh, America because there was no future for her as a woman astronomer in the United Kingdom. And it was only Shapley who was, even though he had so many people working for him who were not well paid, he was a champion of women's rights in astronomy to, to a great degree. And it was through him that there was um, Henrietta Swan Levitt. And of course, the woman with the wonderful name, Annie Jump Cannon. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then Cecilia Pingapotskin. They, they all had <laughs> the most wonderful names. Yeah. So, John, the centre of our galaxy, a black hole, is that right? That's right. The astronomers believe there's a, uh, a black hole with the stellar solar mass of, of 4.3 million solar masses. So our sun is, is one solar mass, whereas this black hole is equivalent to 4.3 million suns worth of material uh, contained in, in, in the black hole. Now, how we know there's a black hole there is we, we can't actually see to the heart of our galaxy, but the, the great thing is, is that infrared and radio telescopes can actually see through the interstellar dust and, and gases and so on into the, into the black hole region. And we, we can't see the black hole per se, but we can see the evidence of stars being pulled in by the black hole and orbiting orbiting uh, the black hole. In fact, there's one star called S2, and it comes in on a very elliptical orbit, comes to within, uh, oh, gee, it's, it's, it's about um, 17 hours, light hours from the black hole, and then goes out to 10 light days from the black hole. 
And based on this star, S2, and other stars and gas, and how they're being affected, astronomers can then determine the size of the black hole. So we, we know it's about four, roughly about four, four million solar masses, not a big soul, a big black hole compared to other galaxies. I mean, there's some galaxies there which have black holes, which are literally, oh gee, I think it's um, thousands of millions of solar masses in, in size. Like there's a major one in the heart of Meteor 87. So yeah, we do know there is a, a solar mass uh, so a black hole at the heart of our galaxy. Is that a, a black hole or a supermassive black hole? Uh, well, I guess you could call it a supermassive black hole. It's the biggest one in our galaxy. I've noticed there's a differentiation these days. Um, people now talk of supermassive black holes. I was wondering what the difference might be. Yeah, don't know. One is, one is supermassive and one is only massive. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's certainly certainly massive, but compared to other galaxies, not 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 nearly as big as other other galaxies. Um, so the interesting thing about astronomy is, what people think we just use optical telescopes, you know, like you see in the cartoons, people looking through telescopes. But today, well, for many years, especially since the war with radar radar and so on. Uh, radio telescopes have been developed and we can actually look peer through the the uh, interstellar gas and we with wavelengths of 23 centimeters we can actually see the uh, see the the, the, the determine the, the shape of the galaxy that we've got spiral arms how fast they're moving uh, and, and and just a lot more about our galaxy so now now we we do think it's a barred spiral galaxy off each end of the the bar there's two main arms and those are called the scutum centaurus arm and the perseus arm scutum and, mean scutum meaning shield uh, yeah well so basically constellation um and we we don't actually sit in either of those arms there's another arm coming off called the sagittarius arm and basically, it's between the Perseus arm and the heart of our galaxy, the, the center of the galaxy. And there's a little spur that comes off. It's kind of like a tree. Imagine, you know, a main branch, then a little branch and so on. Well, there's a little spur that comes off the Sagittarius arm called the Orion Spur. And that's where our galaxy is. When we look towards the heart of our galaxy, we're looking toward the Sagittarius arm uh, and into the heart, basically towards the, the, the halo of our galaxy. And we see the Centaurus arm on coming away from the other side, you know, coming to the side of the of our uh, of the hub. And in the summertime for New Zealand, that is in summer, we look in the other direction, away from the heart of our galaxy, and we're looking into the Perseus arm. And uh, that's when we see the summer summer Milky Way that we see. So Andromeda. I will, we've been knocking the Northern Hemisphere in terms of not being able to see the Milky Way particularly well. What I will say about the Northern Hemisphere is it has the most wonderful views of Andromeda. Ours are pretty poor, I must be honest. But in the Northern Hemisphere, it's just astonishing to, to look up and see it almost naked eye in dark, spot, dark wow. sky spots. Yep. But with binoculars... Wow, I saw it first um, in Scotland when I was at a dark sky conference there, and it was absolutely stunning. So mm -hmm. 
people in the Northern Hemisphere, that is truly a magnificent thing. When you think how far away that is, where, how long ago the light left that galaxy. And actually, we've had a, a question come in um, from um, Mary Matthews in Oripu on, on Waiheke Island. And she wanted to know um, when was it likely that Andromeda would collide with the Milky Way? And what might the effect of that be? Yeah, great question. Thank you, Mary. So for every second that we've been speaking on this podcast, the two galaxies, the, the two main galaxies in our, in our local group of galaxies are the Andromeda galaxy, which is basically bigger than the Milky Way galaxy, and the other galaxy is, is our galaxy, the Milky Way. So because they're large, they have a gravitational effect on each other, and they're pulling, pulling each other towards a, a common center at 120 kilometers per second. So every second, they get 120 kilometers closer and closer and closer. Now, the Andromeda galaxy is about roughly around about 2.3 million light years away. So when we look at it, Gareth, when you're looking at it with binoculars, that light left that galaxy 2.3 million years ago. Now, at 120 kilometers per second, it sounds fast, but with the vastness of space, it'll take about 2 billion years until those two galaxies are interacting and astronomers believe well there were two brothers the Toomery brothers in the 1970s and they did a lot of research on inter interacting galaxies and uh, uh, there's been a lot more since the Toomery brothers how you spell it is t-o-o-m-r-e Toomery brothers and they saw other galaxies in our universe that looked as though they were interacting and based on their models and more recent models, astronomers believe that the two galaxies will come together kind of like fingers when your hand passing through each other and they'll get out to a stage and then they'll come, the gravity will pull them back and then they'll come back, pass through each other, through each other, through each other to the point where after about 5 million years from now, the, 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 the two will merge into one giant elliptical galaxy. Wow. Is that unusual? Uh, no, it's, it's quite common to actually see galaxy mergers. Just give it time. If the galaxies are big enough, they will be, uh, you know, pulling pulling on each other and, and, and merging. Our galaxy is also in the process of, of pulling in uh, small dwarf galaxies, uh, ripping them to pieces, absorbing their stars and gases. And it's a common sight, fairly common sight around the universe to actually see it. One of the things I do here at Possum Observatory and near Gisborne is to photograph galaxies very deeply, like 10 or 20 hours of exposure time, and then really stretch the photos in Photoshop and try and see tidal interactions where galaxies have cannibalized other galaxies. And you can see the, the streams of material left over from them being eaten up, basically. And in terms of the... the... Magellanic clouds, I, I understand that our galaxy is actually sucking a lot of the material from the Magellanic clouds. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. It's, yes. There, there has been speculation with, whether they are being devoured by it or orbiting it, but it looks like uh, they are 
basically being devoured by the the massive gravitational pull of the Milky Way galaxy. Okay, and in in some respects, the same is true of globular clusters, right? Yes, to a degree. Globular clusters, there's about 158 of them in, in surrounding the Milky Way galaxy and in, in what is called the halo of the galaxy. Uh, some of them actually pass through our galaxy and maybe lose stars in, uh, in the process. But the funny thing about globular clusters is they're ancient. They're, they're about 12 billion years old, 12 to 13 billion years old. They're some of the oldest things in, our, in the universe that we know of. And they sit out uh, surrounding the, the heart of our galaxy, not in a galaxy, but in a, in a halo surrounding the galaxy. And uh, they've been there for, for billions and billions of years. And uh, yeah, so, some of them slowly do get eroded away, uh, but no, they've been there a long time. We actually, looking at other galaxies, we see that other galaxies have up to several thousand uh, globular clusters around some of the more massive galaxies. So they're, they're a really interesting fossil, really ancient. Right. I've got a question here um, about the Milky Way from Kim Wesney in um, uh, Onuroa. Also from Waiheke Island, we've got a lot of supporters in Waiheke Island, and she would like to know, are there any stars in the Milky Way named after New Zealanders? Rutherford? That's a, that's a tricky question. Uh, there are certain societies and groups that do sell star names to, wow. to people. But as far as the International Astronomical Union, which is like the UN of astronomy in, in, in the world, uh, they're not recognized as such. So, yes, there might be some viewers or listeners out there who do have stars. They purchased the, the right to have a star named after them. But, yeah, as far as professional astronomy is concerned, they aren't recognized by the police of astronomy, as it were. Now, John, we've been mentioning the police a number of times uh, so far, but in fact, I'm correct, am I not, that you actually hold a position within the force? Yeah, just, just recently I've been, I was asked to be the National Outreach Coordinator for the International Astronomical Union. So, so that's a great honour. Basically, it's, it's uh, to do with uh, publicising astronomy, which is part of these podcasts, uh, and encouraging societies to have public nights for to get get people up to the telescope and have a look, to spread awareness of of light pollution and and trying to mitigate the effects of light pollution, to be wise with with placing street lights and especially security lights, pointing them down and so on. So yeah, it's really neat to be part of the International Astronomical Union. So they're a police force, but a benign police force. Yeah, yeah. It was them that demoted Pluto in 2006. Yes, well, from what I understand, as, you, as you've told us before, that was the right thing to do. Yeah. That's what, that's what we expect from our police. <laughs> and, of course, John Hernshaw, the, the, that well-known friend of Cecilia Payne-Gapochkin, he, another New Zealander of note, uh, he was the, um, was it the vice president of the IAU? Yes. Until yes, very yes. recently? That's right. Yeah. That's right. So we, we should show them appropriate reverence going forward. We'll have to we'll have to come up with a new term to defend the defenders rather than the police. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Now I've got another question that's come in, and this was a second one uh, uh, from Mary Matthews um, in Ardapu. Um, Are any stars in the Milky Way named after women? There must be. Hopefully, um, hopefully at least 50-50. Yeah, it's 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 kind of hard to actually have a star named after you. Uh, stars are generally named after the Greek alf- uh, Greek alphabet, the Bayer stars, and then there's different catalogs that actually just list a whole heap of numbers like HD da 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 da. da. So to have a star named after a lady or a man in that case is pretty, very rare. You you do have certain objects that have been discovered by certain people. Uh, and they can be named after after those people. Um, let's see. As far as of course, certain things, certain certain people are, are named after stars. Yeah, yeah. Certain people are. Yep. Somebody in my life, Mira Bradshaw. Yep. Named after Cetus Alpha Cetae. Is that right, Alpha Cetae? I believe I think, so. I think so. Right. Yep. Yeah. 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 So, so there are women named after stars, but not stars named after women, unless, of course, they were, um, and that, unless they were Greek goddesses. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. But I must admit, the as far as uh, the Milky Way is concerned, there have been a lot of lady female astronomers who have been been very influential in our understanding of the of the Milky Way and these studies of the Milky Way and the, the theory uh, hypotheses they come up come up with you know the theories proof basically uh, Vera Rubin that you mentioned before is is one and Vera Rubin was quite instrumental in the 1970s I believe it was and uh, backing the idea that galaxies are surrounded by a, a giant big halo of dark matter. Basically, the, in the 19, in 1933, there was a man called Fritz, called Fritz Swicky, and he was a Swiss astronomer. He was studying galaxies in the constellation of Coma Berenices, and he was looking at the rotation rates of the galaxies and realized that they're actually spinning a lot faster than they should. If they were just the matter that we could see, with the rotation rate, they should actually be flinging themselves apart. And so to come up with the uh, a way of, of solving that problem, Fritz Wiggy came up with the idea that there was a, a massive halo of dark matter surrounding the galaxy, giving it more gravitational mass. And because it had more gravity, then it could uh, endure those fast rotation rates. Fritz Wicke, uh, he wasn't very well, let's see, he was, some people, he got on the wrong side of people fairly easily, easily apparently. In fact, there was one reporter who who uh, was interviewing him and he said, the reporter said to Fritz, what do you think of your fellow astronomers here at this observatory where you're working? And Fritz Swiggy said, they're spherical bastards. And, <laughs> yeah, and the reporter said, what do you mean by that, spherical bastards? And Swiggy, as quick as a dime, basically said, they're bastards from w- whichever angle you look at them. So he, <laughs> got, he had a bad habit of, of getting on the offside of people. So this, 
this idea about dark matter was was basically shelved for a while, but Henry, uh, Vera Rubin in the 1970s and uh, two other astronomers from Princeton in the 60s uh, revisited the idea of, of, of dark matter, looking at how galaxies rotate and realized that, yeah, there must be a, a gravitational mass that's holding the galaxy together. And now that's what we believe is happening. Our, our own Milky Way galaxy has a, a halo of, of dark matter, which is as uh, about 600,000 light years across, which is roughly about five times the diameter of our galaxy. So it's a massive big thing. Uh, and our galaxy, as it rotates once every 220 million years, uh, is being held together uh, by this dark matter. And that was thanks to, uh, to Vera Rubin. And, and also, I must admit, uh, there's a, a lady called Beatrice Hill Tinsley, a New Zealander. She went to uh, Harvard, uh, was a professor at Harvard, and she was very instrumental in the study of galaxies too. So, so there's there's been a lot of uh, female astronomers and men, male astronomers, who have influenced our understanding of the Milky Way and other galaxies. One thing I should say, the IAU might not have women's names, but certainly in Maori astronomy, many of the stars are given women's names. So a shout out to them, yeah, Maori astronomy right. for being. Yeah, and and it's, it's quite interesting. If you do go to the, out into a dark sky and look up at this time of year, uh, the Aborigines at this time of year would, would in Australia would look up and they would actually see in the Milky Way, you see a, a a beautiful swath of uh, of of stars and milkiness and so on, but you see these dark nebulae within the galaxy, and they saw an emu in the in the in the dark parts of our Milky Way Let galaxy. Let me guess, it was it was a female emu. Yeah, yeah, and and the coal sack, which is sitting right next to and partly in the Southern Cross, was the head of the emu, and then oh, wow. the rest of it carries on down the neck and into the heart of our galaxy, into the Sagittarius Scorpius region, and that's where the main body uh, of the emu is. So, so yeah, yeah, big shout out to uh, people who enjoy it. In fact, it's just so neat to actually get out under the stars, get away from the light pollution if you can, and even with a pair of binoculars, just just wander through. Uh, the Milky Way with your binoculars, just looking at star clusters, dark nebulae, uh, emission nebulae, and, and so on. There's just so much that's right over our head from New Zealand that people are in other parts of the world will give their left teeth, hind teeth for to left see. Teeth. So, so yeah, just get out and enjoy it. Well, uh, one last thing before we wrap, and that would be to see the, the Milky Way Kiwi. Now, that is truly something. And once you see it, Every time you look at the Milky Way, you look for it. I certainly do. And that is truly stunning. So you've got the emu and you've got the Milky Way Kiwi. That's right. It's, 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 it's a challenge to see the Milky Way Kiwi. The, the Basically, it looks like a, a big, well, a Kiwi. It's about the size of your fist at arm's length on, on, the, on the Milky Way. Uh, it looks, the beak and the head are known as the pipe nebulae. Uh, nebula I should say and you can physically see it uh, visually see it under a dark sky with no moon if you know where to look but photographically it's it's, it's very 
easy to see uh, on on photographs. So if you did the listeners did a Google search on the key, Milky Way Kiwi, hopefully they'll come across photographs of of that that uh, really quite neat thing. And it's quite neat to see the the Kiwi and the Emu sitting together, kind of like Anzacs, you know, Australians and New Zealanders uh, together. Okay. Well, thank you, John. So uh, I think poor old Auckland is still under level four, so we can't do anything or go anywhere. You and the rest of the country are now down to level two. So you will be out surfing um, from midnight this evening. Yeah, yeah, looking forward to it. <laughs> you planning to, you planning to go out at one minute past twelve with the board? Oh no, the, the well swell's waxed. pretty pretty small at the moment. Uh, so maybe maybe in a few days we'll get a new oh, swell. Okay, so yeah. so you'll be having your um, you'll be having your restaurants open and and walking along the promenade and having fun. Yes, and back to school on Thursday. So, uh, oh, is that yeah, right? Back to reality. What about, is everybody fully vaccinated? Are you fully vaccinated? Uh, I've got one more jab to go. Okay, okay. So you yes, are, though, I, eh, Gareth? Hmm? You are vaccinated. Two well, jabs. I'm an, old, I'm an old man, you know. So yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. They had to look after me. Yeah. So, but sadly, not a lot to do here. We just got to look up at the sky. But the weather has been not particularly good either. So there you go. Anyway, that was good, John. You mentioned dark matter. We must talk about that at a, at a later date. And dark energy too. So many topics to talk about. Uh, just to let you know, that since we last talked, uh, we're now available um, as an audio-only podcast on Podbean. Again, the Kiwi Astronomers. So if you go to Podbean, the Kiwi Astronomers will be on there. And the good news is that uh, you don't have to uh, look at us. You can just hear us, yeah. which is in, in, in some ways a big advantage. Um, yeah. But for those of you who are looking in, the photograph behind John is actually one that John took. And uh, what are those two things that look like Catherine Wheels? Is, is that a firework display at your house last Last bonfire night, or is it <laughs> uh, a bit further away than my house? These are two galaxies in the constellation of Leo Major. Uh, they're known as Major 65 and Major 66. So, so beautiful, beautiful, uh, basically spiral type galaxies. And uh, yeah, many, many, many tens of millions of light years away. All right. Well, thanks for that. Happy, happy surfing to you, Hang Ten. And uh, we will look forward to talking to you again on some interesting topic about the night sky. And so we'll play you out now with our favorite song. Take me to Callisto so I can see the stars. I want to view the Milky Way from a terraform base on Mars. From a terraform base on Mars. From a terraform base on Mars.